It's September 20th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got three briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, a remarkable new survey to tell you about regarding America's migrants, both legal and illegal. And folks, the information that I have could change the entire conversation about this debate, but only if politicians care to have that debate. More to come shortly. Second, an update for you regarding Monday's brief about drone strikes in the African country of Sudan. Well, as it turns out, special forces from Ukraine might have been the ones pulling the trigger on those strikes in Africa. We'll talk about that and why you should care. Third, the Chinese and Russians are not the only ones who are trying to spread fake news in America or manipulate our media. Arab powers, they are trying to do the same. We'll talk about that in a bit. Later, we close out the podcast with three questions from three listeners today. One is about that brewing conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Another is about Taiwan. And the last is about how New Yorkers, of all people, want Joe Biden to face an investigation into allegations of corruption. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. A remarkable new survey to tell you about, folks, regarding America's migrants, both legal and illegal. Now, this data comes to us from the L.A. Times and the Kaiser Family Foundation, also known as KFF. So here's the background. Last spring, researchers at KFF conducted a survey of 3,358 migrants in the United States. And it was, as they said, a pretty solid representation of both legal and illegal migrants in this country. In fact, they correctly said that their data is the largest and most representative survey of migrants living in the U.S. to date. So, folks, this data are important when we talk about understanding the United States' problems and issues and blessings of migration. So here is what they found in their survey. First, some good news. The overwhelming majority of migrants do not experience racist attitudes or discrimination in their daily lives. Instead, these folks report that they are treated quite well by the vast majority of the American people. Uh, 60 to 70 percent of migrants say as much. Equally, an overwhelming majority, upwards of 80 percent, say that their lives in the U.S. are better than where they came from, both economically and educationally. And that is all pretty darn good to know, I think, because we have a number of U.S. politicians who say that America is not a great place, don't we? In fact, we have a few that have said it's never been great. At least that is according to the former governor of New York, who famously said that a couple years ago. But that's just not true at least not according to these migrants. They say that America is a great place, actually, full of great people. But as wonderful as that is, that is not why I'm bringing you this latest data. Right? Instead, I'm sharing with you because, as listeners know, we have a profound migration crisis in this country. There are millions of people crossing over the southern border each year. 2.2 million encounters last year, plus an untold number of folks called the gotaways. And this year, probably not going to be much better. We are once again pushing 10,000 migrants a day coming across the border, either sneaking in or declaring themselves as asylum seekers, telling that to Customs and Border Patrol officials when they first arrive at the border. And that is what we need to talk about. Right? We need to dive into this latest data to tell us why people are coming to this country with a very specific focus on asylum seekers. 
because it is they who make up virtually all of the folks who are coming across the border and declaring themselves to CBP officers. Now, to understand this group of asylum seekers and this latest data, we have to understand a little bit about the asylum process. So let's start with this. The U.S. government has, for many years, agreed to accept people from around the world who claim that they are trying to escape persecution or they fear being persecuted in their homelands. Right? These are called asylum seekers. Now, there are a few different laws and international agreements that we have signed that cover these asylum applicants in this whole process. The big one is something called, well, it's a domestic law called the, the Refugee Act of 1980. Now, in a nutshell, it lays out five protected grounds or categories that asylum seekers have to fall into in order to credibly make a claim for asylum. In other words, to be allowed lawfully into this country. And those five categories, ladies and gentlemen, are race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. In other words, you have to say that you are being persecuted based on one of those five categories. Now, here is something very, very important for us all to understand. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot credibly claim asylum because you're poor or you want a job or maybe a better stab at education or maybe you just think, you know, there's too much crime or corruption back in our home countries. Well, sorry to say that too bad. Those things are not sufficient to make an asylum claim. And yet people do it anyway. And here's how we know that. There are currently 2.1 million asylum claims that await review. And once they are reviewed, usually by a judge, the overwhelming majority are rejected. Now, the rejection rates tend to fluctuate in any given year, but it is generally a 70 to 80% rejection rate. The latest data actually show us that right now it's around 74%. In other words, people from all around the world they come to the United States, come to the border, they apply for asylum, but they know they're going to be rejected. But they do it anyway. Hmm. Why is that? Well, here's something that you might not know. From the moment that these folks show up at our border to the very point that their applications eventually get rejected, well, they get to stay here in the United States while they wait. Well, to put a number to that waiting period, the current length of the asylum process is around 1,400 days. It's about four years, right, from application to that usual rejection. In other words, people from all around the world know this, right? So long as they can get past what is called the first interview on the border with CBP officers and they claim that they deserve asylum, well, they get to come in and stay for years. In other words, they are very happy to lie to do so, to game the system, now, critics of what I, I just said might say to me, ah, oh, come on, Brian, there is no proof that these migrants are lying or gaming the system. In fact, when these people apply for asylum, we have to believe that they're being honest, that they really do think that they have a credible fear of persecution. So stop being such a jerk. <clears throat> well, we actually do have proof that these migrants are gaming the immigration system and they are lying. And that proof is in this latest data from the LA Times and the KFF. So let's talk about this data, which just to remind ourselves, it is the largest and most representative survey of all migrants living in the US to date. Okay, so here is what these folks, these migrants, both legal and illegal, had to say. 75% of America's migrants, both legal and illegal, 
said that they came to the United States for work and educational opportunities, not credible fears of persecution. Now, if we look at just illegal migrants, well, about 50% of them said, well, they're here for work and educational opportunities too, not because they have a credible fear of persecution. So when looking at this data, of course, that would leave us with another 50% of illegal migrants. Okay, well, what did they have to say about coming to America illegally? Why are they here? Well, they say that they are here because of crime back in their homelands. But remember, crime back home, that is not a qualifier for asylum. Remember, there are five categories that qualify for asylum. Race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. You have to say and to prove that you are being persecuted because of one of those five categories. Again, fear of crime, that is not amongst those five categories. Which means this. America's migrants who are claiming asylum are by and large gaming the system. They know that they don't qualify for asylum. Instead, as they have admitted with this data, they are here for jobs, education, and yes, fatigue with crime back home. But they are falsely claiming asylum anyway, and they stay for years, all while the U.S. government finally gets around to eventually calling them out and rejecting their asylum applications. So folks, that makes most of the asylum seekers that we see, at least by all reasonable definition and logic, they are the illegal migrants from the very get-go, and they know it. Okay, so, so what? What's the problem, right? What, why is it bad that the world's residents know that they, that they can come to the U.S. border, falsely claim asylum, and then stay here for years? What's the consequence for that? Well, that starts to take us just beyond facts and data this morning to a bit more analysis and opinion. So let's do that now. And let me give you three reasons for why it is so bad that the world knows it can game our immigration system. First, folks, consider this. The vast majority of first-generation migrants are an economic drain on the country. Now, some folks might contest that, but it is true. You can read about it in a 642-page report from the American Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine. That is in the transcripts, by the way. But if you're short on time to read that, here is what I would flag from that report. New immigrants are especially economically damaging for native-born Americans without a high school diploma. And that is because these illegals or these migrants drive down wages. Second, gaming our immigration system by these folks abroad, it's bad because now that the word is out, the volume of people who are responding to that knowledge and crossing over illegally, it is absolutely jaw-dropping, right? Consider this. Back in 2018, researchers at the MIT estimated that through the year 2016, the U.S. is home to over 22 million illegal migrants, right? Meaning that seven years later, we can now safely assume that the number of illegals in this country is pushing 30 million people, if not well beyond that. So let me just restate this. We've got upwards of 30 million illegal migrants who are a net economic drain in this country, especially harming our fellow Americans at the lower end of the economic spectrum. In other words, our working class. And that leads to problem number three. The number of illegal migrants is destroying America's cities, at least according to New York City's mayor, Eric Adams. 
Two weeks ago, he said that his city was being crushed with so many of these fake asylum seekers that, quote, the city we know we are about to lose, end quote. Now, as I've shared with you previously, he offered that very dire assessment as his administration is now forecasting a total bill of $12 billion to take care of those migrants who are landing on his city's doorstep. And to be clear, they're showing up there, ladies and gentlemen, because New York is one of the hundreds of states and counties and cities in this nation that have embraced something called sanctuary policies. And to refresh our memories, these policies provide legal protection from deportation, plus a whole bunch of free services like free housing, schooling, medical care, and the like. But of course, nothing's free, is it? In fact, these policies are very expensive. And these cities and states, well, they've become sanctuary magnets. They are attracting migrants from all around the world who know that they can falsely claim asylum, stick around for years, and get a whole bunch of free stuff. Plus, they get legal protections. They never have to go home. And if there were any doubt about that, we now have data from the folks at KFF and the LA Times to prove it. So as, as ever, folks, I'm going to keep watching this debate and the hunt for additional facts and data that help explain, well, what I think is pretty darn obvious, actually. In a world full of poverty and crime, if you tell people that they can have something for nothing, well, you should expect for them to show up. And I'll tell you, who can blame them? That's human behavior. I mean, if I put myself uh, myself in their shoes, I wouldn't want to live in a dump of a country somewhere if I knew that if I could show up on the U.S. border and lie about my persecuted status, and then I get to come in and enjoy free stuff for years, well, I'd probably do it. In other words, I, I get it. I understand. But I don't accept it because I don't live in a dump of a country. I live in the United States, the greatest country in the world. But it won't be for long. As New York City's mayor has correctly said, this migrant crisis is going to destroy his city. And if we're being honest, it's going to destroy this country, too, if we are not very, very careful. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at uh, rightreport.substack.com, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks and enjoy the following messages, remembering that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or service, then I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Folks, if there were ever a product that you should consider, man, this is it. Jace Medical. They provide an emergency supply of prescriptions and antibiotics. And here's why you should consider them. As listeners know, I have spoken about how China and India control most of our prescription drugs, including antibiotics. Well, what happens if a war should break out over, say, Taiwan or maybe a pandemic again? Well, we all know what happens. Our supplies of critical products get interrupted, and that is not acceptable if your life depends on it. So that is why I am proud to tell you about JaceMedical.com. And here's how it works. You fill out a simple form at jasemedical.com. Then you speak with a board-certified physician. And within days, your order arrives at your home for emergency use. And I'll tell you, this is not for casual use, folks. Talk to your normal doctors for sniffles and such. This is for emergency use with potency lasting for years should the worst ever come. So, friends, go to jacemedical.com, 
Enter promo code right. That is W-R-I-G-H-T. And you will get a discounted order. Again, that is promo code right at J-A-S-E-Medical.com. Folks, I've mentioned to you that to put this podcast together, I work upwards of 12 hours a day. Now, that doesn't leave me much time to cook. And that is why I have been so grateful for America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit called Factor. These meals come fresh, delivered right to your doorstep, and take two little minutes to eat. Now, if you are skeptical like I am, I was at first thinking, eh, this stuff is going to taste like airline food. But no, sir. No, ma'am. These Factor meal kits are good. And Factor has a wide variety of meals to choose from, folks, covering lunch and dinner and some very good breakfast options, too. Portion sizes, by the way, are appropriate and modest, making them perfect as a nice meal or a hearty snack for hungry guys like me. Bottom line, folks, you know that I take great care when endorsing products, and I sure do with this one. Factor is my go-to option for when I am just too darn busy to cook. That is why you must head to factormeals.com slash right five zero. Right, use that promo code right five zero, and you're gonna get fifty percent off. Again, that is factormeals.com slash W R I G H T five zero, and you're gonna go and get fifty percent off, folks. What a deal! Go there and get this stuff today. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news. So on Monday, I told you about how a very specialized drone was operating in the African country of Sudan. I noted that that drone had been seen in Ukraine actually quite a bit, but not outside that theater of war, at least not yet. Well, this morning, CNN is reporting that those drones were actually not only outside of Ukraine in Sudan, but they were being operated by Ukrainians themselves. Yes, Ukrainians are operating killer drones in Africa, all because they want to target a Russian paramilitary operation that is in Sudan. It's called the Wagner Group. Now, to understand this development, let's actually step back for a moment and remind ourselves of the previous briefs that I've given you on the Wagner Group. So as listeners will recall, I I shared with you how the Russian Wagner Group operates in African countries like Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, and Sudan. And the deal that they set up is this. Wagner agrees to provide military services to these countries or different rebel groups there. And in exchange, Wagner gets gold, diamonds, oil, and, uh, well, a whole bunch of cold, hard cash. If you'd like to go back to those briefs and re-explore those, well, you can do so. You can go back to April 7th, April 28th, and June 26th to just name a few. So with that as background, I note that one thing that we haven't discussed so far, well, it was a series of rumors that I started hearing about a month ago that the Ukrainians were looking to expand their fight against the Russians. And here was their idea. If they could bog down the Wagner Group, or the Russians, somewhere in Africa, or lots of places in Africa, then Moscow might have to send more fighters there instead of sending those fighters to the front lines in Ukraine. And that is what appears to be happening this morning, because CNN has some great video of Ukrainian racing drones blowing up some of Wagner's allies in Sudan. The dead are part of a rebel group that is called the Rapid Support Forces, or RSF. Now, as I shared with you on Monday, the Sudanese army, They originally took credit for these drone strikes on these RSF positions. But now, 
Well, we have a little bit more color to the story. Maybe credit should be spread around a little bit to include some Ukrainian special forces operators. So here's what that means, folks, and why you should care. The war in Ukraine just took a very interesting and frankly, very ominous new direction. It's spreading beyond Ukraine's borders to, well, a place you wouldn't expect, Africa, Sudan. And it is happening, ladies and gentlemen, right as Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, is traveling to New York and Washington, D.C. In fact, he went to New York yesterday, spoke at the United Nations. And today and tomorrow, he is going to sit down and chat with Mr. Biden and Congress as well. Indeed, he is set to ask for another $24 billion on top of the $66 billion that you all have already given him with our deficit spending. But the point is, of course, as we are giving more money, the war continues. And interestingly enough, ominously enough, perhaps it's spreading well beyond where we expected it to go. At any rate, I'll be keeping my eyes out for more suspicious drone strikes in both Sudan and well beyond. It's a very fascinating development, ladies and gentlemen. More to come. With that, we move on to our last report of the morning. Although we don't have to go very far for this one. From Sudan, we just go right across the Red Sea to Saudi Arabia and the Middle East. And here is why. At a recent conference in Paris, a a Saudi deputy minister of investment estimated that his country is going to have around $3.2 trillion to invest all around the world over the next seven years. And that is largely because Saudi Arabia's state-owned oil company called Aramco They just cleared $159 billion in profit last year, just last year, and that makes it the most profitable business in the world. But it is not just the Saudis who have a bunch of money and looking to spend it. Strong oil prices have also meant that other countries in the Middle East have a bunch of money to burn too. For example, the countries of Qatar and the United Arab Emirates, they've got a lot to spend as well. So what will our friends in the Middle East do with all that money? Well, we recently saw the Saudis make a hostile move to control the golf company PGA Tour that happened over the summer. But Middle Eastern investment firms are also moving into the world of American media, too. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is because they want to make sure that you have a very positive vision of them and their countries. In other words, having control or influence over our media companies will certainly help ensure that you do have those positive visions of them and their countries. So here's what we know about these interesting developments as reported by Forbes and Business Insider. Let's start with Saudi Arabia. So a couple years ago, they took a stake in something called Live Nation that provides tickets for concerts and events. Meanwhile, another Saudi firm called MBC, they invested about $50 million in the media outlet Vice earlier this year. Interestingly enough, Vice then yanked a documentary that was supposed to be uh, distributed this summer, in June, actually. It was very critical of the Saudi royal family, but that documentary never aired. Finally, there is another Saudi group we should know about called SRMG. They have invested in an American media group that controls uh, outlets uh, like the Rolling Stone, Deadline, Variety, and other entertainment magazines. But as I mentioned, folks, the Saudis, they're not alone in their interest in American media and entertainment companies. We know we've got some uh, coming out of the government of Qatar. They, too, want into this game. Speaking of games, they have taken equity positions in something called Monumental Sports and Entertainment. They control Washington, D.C.-based sports teams and media outlets. 
Meanwhile, oil sheiks in the nearby country of UAE, they have an investment firm called International Media Investments, and they are making some pretty serious plays in the media space as well in this country. In fact, they're using a collaboration with a former CNN CEO, a guy named Jeff Zucker. They're looking at some investments in media outlets called Semaphore and Punchbowl News. So that's just a quick snapshot of some of the recent deals by Middle Eastern oil giants and their investment firms. And if I could just tell you briefly some analysis and opinion on this. So here's why this is important, ladies and gentlemen. For all the problems that we have in this country and all the, the difficulties that we might talk about, the United States is still a global superpower. And that means that what you think and do and what our politicians think and do, that still matters. And that means that there are a lot of people trying to manipulate and control what we might call the information battle space. It's not just the Chinese or the Russians. There are some folks in the Middle East who want to get into this game too. And boy, oh boy, do they have the money to do it. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It is three questions this morning coming from three different listeners, all paid subscribers at rightreport.substack.com. First up, I got an email from Emily. She's seen a, well, a potential war between Armenia and Azerbaijan. She wonders, do we need to worry about this? Should we be scared? What, why do we care? All of those are fantastic questions, by the way, Emily. So for folks unaware, this is a fight between those two nations that is very, very old, centuries old, really. I've included some links in the transcripts to help us understand that history and what's happening right now. But I would note, Emily, that while it is certainly worth watching, and you will probably hear about this brought up in the media, sometimes because the Kardashians are Armenian in their heritage, and they're making some noise about this, I would offer to you with great respect that there aren't really any profound U.S. interests in those countries. Although there is this, Armenia has historically been an ally of Russia, but recently they've started to move away from Moscow. They actually agreed to a, a modest military exchange with the U.S. in the past couple of weeks. So there are some growing budding interests there. Nevertheless, modest, but I'll still keep my eye on it. Good question. Next. I got an email inquiry from Gavin. He wanted to know what we should be thinking about China and their latest military drills around Taiwan. Could it be that there is an imminent invasion? So what Gavin is talking about here is there has been this steady increase of Chinese military drills around Taiwan, both in the sky and the waters around the island. In fact, just this week, uh, there was a couple exercises, I think, gosh, 103 jets, some very serious naval assets. And that has been the temple, you know, for the past five or six months or so, right? More exercises involving more assets all around Taiwan. So Gavin, what I suspect is happening is two things. First, modern Chinese forces have not been tested in battle, so they need to practice a lot. And these exercises help. Second, you are right that there is this increasing frequency and scope of these drills. So what I imagine that the Chinese are doing is it's, by slowly increasing the temperature here, increasing the frequency and the scope, the magnitude of all the different assets involved, well, it numbs us a little bit, doesn't it? In other words, we don't really feel as surprised or shocked when the number of jets, say, goes from 120 to 150 to 200. 
If you do it slowly enough, well, it just kind of numbs us. So there might be a point, though, when it goes from 200 to 250, we're numbed, but then suddenly those jets turn on the island and the invasion begins. So that is something that I'm thinking about, and that is what I'm watching for. Finally, this morning, Sarah out of New York, she said that she was pretty shocked to see something. Her fellow New Yorkers actually support the impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. And she wondered what I thought. So what I imagine Sarah is referring to is a poll that came out yesterday that, yes, most New Yorkers do, in fact, support House Republicans and their effort to launch an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden and his family's alleged corruption. It is 46% in favor and 40% opposed. And yes, Sarah, that is quite something, right? New York went for Biden back in 2020 over uh, Donald Trump. That The split was 60-40 back then. So the fact that New Yorkers would sour so much on Biden since then, well, what I think it means is that, I, as I briefed you all previously, the American people, I think, are seeing through this media smokescreen of telling you that there's nothing there. And in fact, you all do see something there. And it is very dark and very disturbing, irrespective of your party affiliation. Indeed, what I think polls show us, ladies and gentlemen, is that we are all pretty concerned that there is a man sitting in the Oval Office that could be not only corrupt, but compromised by foreign powers. And we want somebody to get to the bottom of that. Okay, well, let's see if Congress can do it. Folks, if you'd like me to answer one of your questions on the podcast, it's really easy to do. Either donate via my Stripe account, which you will find a link for in the show notes. Just make sure you leave your email and I'll be in touch. Otherwise, go to writereport.substack.com, sign up, and at the bottom of each day's Substack post, you can leave a comment or ask me a question. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.